Good morning and happy Sabbath. I'm sorry I'm not there physically with you today. I had to go out of, out of town. But uh, in speaking with our AV team and with modern technology, I learned that I could leave this video uh, to share today's message. So I'm sharing it with the use of modern technology. So I have to thank God for that. I would like to hear from you on how what you think of this, if you think this works. Uh, otherwise, I can always try to find a guest speaker to to be with y'all to share the message on a given Sabbath morning. But uh, I did. I decided not to find a speaker for this weekend, and I thought, you know what? Let me go ahead and try this and see what the church family thinks of it. So I'd like to hear from you. Uh, tell me if you think it works. Tell me uh, what the pros and cons are, or tell me if you uh, like it or not. Uh, and then we could look into whether we should do it in the future or not. So nonetheless, I want to say happy Sabbath. I want to say uh, thank you for coming to church today and worshiping with the church family. Uh, our message today is a continuation of our series these past few months since June. It's a series of Into His Likeness. And you'll remember that the purpose of life is to walk with Jesus so that you and I can be transformed into his likeness. That's what sin did, right? Sin took us away from being in the likeness of God. We were created in the image of God, but that was skewed. That was tainted when Adam and Eve sinned. So the whole point of life, I believe, is to walk with Jesus so we can be transformed once again into the likeness of God, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So you may recall our journey. Uh, week two, we talked about the likeness of God uh, is pretty much in three persons, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you and I are created in that Trinity model of mind, body, and spirit. Week three, we went into the mind. We first talked about the mind for the first three weeks. Uh, we learned that from Psalm 46.10, that if we are still, then we will know God. And if we know God, we know peace. Week four stayed on the mind. And in that time, we learned that if we, if, if it is in our mind to walk with God intentionally, then you and I would experience salvation. That is the lesson that we got from Enoch's story, that Enoch walked with God until he was no more. Week five, still on the mind, uh, was a mes message that told us to set our mind on things above so that our life here on earth would have Christ-like attitude. In week six, we transitioned from the mind into the physical nature into the physical realm of our bodies. There we learned that Jesus was able to do good in serving others because he was physically healthy to serve. To physically, he was physically healthy to work. And so that's a lesson for you and I to, to aim for good physical health so we can always be ready to serve others on God's behalf. In week seven, we learned that God's expectations for you physically re-energizes you to love others because God's expectations are not burdensome. God's expectations are not like this world's expectations where it can bog us down, where it could discourage us. 
So lean on God for his expectations on your life. Week eight, we transition from the physical aspect of our bodies to the spiritual nature. The Holy Spirit, on week eight, we learned that the Holy Spirit gives us power. And one of the ways he gives us power is to convict our hearts through our emotions so that way, so that way we can love God even more. And then last week, last week, we saw in John chapter 16 that Jesus called the Holy Spirit, that Jesus called the Holy Spirit as a spirit of truth who will guide you and me in all truth in regards, in regard to God's love and salvation. Our message today into his likeness, it's called, it's titled, A Glorified Jesus. A Glorified Jesus. I'd like to think about that just for a second. What that means to be glorified, to be glorified. As I'm thinking on this idea, on this idea of a glorified Jesus, I a question comes to mind. And that question that I'd like to ask you right now is, is think about the events of the last, I don't know, 80 to 100 years of our country. If you can just choose one event in our country, what would you say that is? What is the most memorable or perhaps the most historic, most important event in our country from the last 80 to 100 years? You'd probably have to really give this some thought. I looked it up and you'll see in the slides I saw from Pew Research Center. This is kind of outdated from 2016. I was really trying to look for something a little more updated. But I love this breakdown. This modern historic events by is is broken down by race and ethnicity. According to 80% of of Caucasians, the most historic event in the last 80 years was September 11. According to African Americans, Obama's election and winning the presidency in uh makes up 62% of uh, amongst blacks of them thinking that that is the most historic event in in America's history. And then 73% of Hispanics say it was sev- uh, September 11 once again. And it continues on, you can read that for yourself, but but these are the top 10 most historic events according to race or ethnicity. Pew Research Center even broke it down uh, furthermore, not just by race or ethnicity, they also did by socioeconomics, but also also by generation. And you'll see here on this slide, you'll see on this slide that amongst the four uh, may, uh, the four generations of our time, this one doesn't include Gen Z, but amongst millennials, Gen X, I'm a Gen X, baby boomers, and silent generation, the most historic event among all four generations is what? What do you see on the screen? September 11. September 11, winning by a landslide in most cases, right? In in every one of these categories. Now, as you look at number two for most historic events by generation, you'll see that there is now a breakdown or a difference in, amongst each generation. And I think this is where you see the age difference, right? The age difference amongst the generations. Millennials and Gen X, because they're so close together, uh, the second 
most historic event was Obama's election. You see that at 47% amongst millennials and Gen X at 40%. Okay. Then baby boomers. It's different for baby boomers. It's not Obama's election. It's JFK's assassination as the most, his, as the second most historic event of their time. But then if you go back to the silent generation, considered to be the greatest generation of our country, we have World War II as number two for most historic event uh, of their time. World War II. So it's different. If you were to, if you were to ask any person, what is the most historic event of our country's, of our nation's history? You're going to get many different answers because it, it is, it is subjective. It really is. As I researched this, as I looked online, uh, there are so many blogs and so many websites that have different answers. And then you can even take it further out, not just within our country, but what about the world? What are the most historic events of our world? And one of the things that I found uh, that sadly it's noted as maybe number 20 in some in some polls or number uh, 30 in other polls is the life of Jesus Christ. But what I want to point out to y'all today, and that's why our sermon uh, is called a glorified Jesus. I would like to propose that the uh, that the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ is perhaps the most historic event of not just our uh, of our country, but also of this world, but not just of this world, but most of all, this entire universe. Let that sink in for a while. Let that sink in for, for a few seconds on why that would be the most historic event of all time. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Here's why I think. It's because the level of impact the level, the meaning that, that, that has be, that, that's behind this event. The level of impact that it makes goes beyond any ethnicity, any race, any time. It, it, it affects, it affects, affected, and will affect past, present, and future. That the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was for all people of not just this world, but the entire universe. That's why I think it's the most historic event of all time. And that's why the sermon title today is called A Glorified Jesus. I'd like to bring your attention to our key text, which is a continuation of what we've been studying in John chapter 16. We started in verse 7 two weeks ago, but now we come to verse 14 and 15. So if you look at the slides with me, it says here, he, who's he? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will bring glory to me. Who's me? Who's the one talking? It's Jesus. The Holy Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. That's our context today. That's our key text today. So let's go ahead and break this down. What is What does this have to do with a glorified Jesus? Well, a glorified Jesus means it's the Holy Spirit who is bringing glory to Jesus. What does that mean, glory? What does it mean to bring glory to Jesus? 
Well, let's explore that together. First and foremost, we have to know what glory means. In the original text in Greek, glory comes from the Greek word doxaxe, doxaxe, which means to glorify, praise, honor, or promote. In other situations, these words can really mean different things. But for our message today, they're pretty synonymous. In this regard, when it says that the Holy Spirit will bring glory to me, to Jesus, it means that he, he could glorify or praise Jesus or honor Jesus or to promote Jesus. Promote Jesus to who? To promote Jesus to the world. Doxaxe. You might realize... As you listen to the to that word, as I'm pronouncing it, doxaxe, you might hear that word doxa. Well, doxology is where we get uh, we get doxology from the word doxa, doxaxe, right? Doxo, uh, doxology means uh, praise, logos. Uh, let me backtrack a little bit. Doxa means praise, as we have established, and logos means word. So, doxology in a church service is to praise God through music. You know, when you and I sing songs, when we sing songs of praise to God, when we are participating in the doxology, we do two things, two things. Number one, one, the first thing we do is we acknowledge God's goodness. And because of God's goodness throughout the week or throughout the course of a challenging time in our life, we thank him. So number one, when we sing songs, we're thanking Jesus for what he has done in our life. We're thanking him for his goodness. We're thanking him for his guidance. We're thanking him for his blessings. And he's an awesome God for that. We love him for that. So we're doing it out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving. Number two, the other reason on, uh, or not the other reason, the other thing that we just naturally do, a natural consequence of praising Jesus is number two, not out of grat, not only from gratitude, but also in bearing witness to God's goodness. When you and I sing songs of praise, when we sing songs to Jesus, we are also witnessing his goodness. We First of all, maybe witness should have been number one because we witness his goodness out of gratitude. We want to say thank you and we sing it. We we say it. We sing it and we praise him for it. That's doxology. And that, going back to the verse that we're studying today, John 16, verse 14, when it says the Holy Spirit, he will bring glory to Jesus. That's what's happening here. He stands in witness of Jesus's sacrifice. He stands witness to Jesus's resurrection. He stands witness to Jesus's uh, ascension and now uh, standing on our behalf, mediating for us in front of the Father in heaven. He stands in witness in all of this. That's what it means that he will bring glory. He will witness. He will promote. He will honor me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So that's what glory means. Glorifying Jesus. Glorifying Jesus for the wonderful work that he has done. The wonderful work of salvation to save you and me from our sins. 
So now let's go to the next part of this text. It now says, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine. He says it twice. In verse 14, he says, by taking from what is mine. And then he says it again in verse 15. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine. What exactly it belongs to Jesus. As I read our commentaries and other commentaries, as I've uh, watched some videos on the explanation of this, there's so many different uh, understandings and there's so many guesses, or I shouldn't say guesses, but there's just so many different ways that people have explained this. And for me, the way I'm going to explain it, we have to look at the context of John chapter 16. What happens to the preceding chapters and what's happening in the chapters after John 16? From John 14 all the way to John 17, it would be a wonderful thing for you to study on your own time. From John 14 through John 17, Jesus is doing something where he is comforting his disciples. He's comforting his disciples because in a short while, he's going to get arrested and then he's going to get crucified. He's going to have a trial, an unfair trial, and then he's going to get crucified. So he's preparing his disciples. And if you recall how John 14 starts, you can turn your Bible with me there to John chapter 14, verse 1. I know you know this really well because it's a verse that is well known amongst Christians. John chapter 14, verse 1 says what? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Right In my father's house are many rooms. If I were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. He's preparing his disciples to the atrocity that they're about to witness when he's going to be uh, arrested, trialed, or tried, not trialed, tried, and then crucified and die. He's, he's preparing their mind for the atrocity that they're about to witness. What he's trying to say is, don't let your faith flounder and fail from the atrocity that you're about to see. Because that's, if anything, that's going to be the start of your faith. When you look on that cross, when you look upon that cross, when Jesus is lifted on high, that is the start of one's faith. That is the start of one's faith. Think about your life. When Jesus was finally lifted up in your heart, when you finally lifted Jesus up, Jesus up in your life, isn't that when the change started to happen? So Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for the upcoming atrocity that they will see. But then he's also telling them, uh, though you're going to see this atrocity, there's going to be hope afterwards. That's why he's telling them, uh, I won't be with you. I'll be, uh, let me go ahead and read it with you. Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 16, verse 16. This is actually the verse after the key text that we're studying today. In John 16, verse 16, if you're there with me right now, I'll read it. It says, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. So what he's pretty much saying there is, in a little while, you will see me no more, no more because I'm going to die. 
And then after a little while, you will see me again because I shall resurrect. So, so he's preparing his disciples from John 14 through John 17. He's preparing his disciples. He's preparing their minds and their heart. He's preparing them. He's preparing them of what's going to happen, of what's going to transpire. That is what belongs to Jesus. That is his story. That is the story that is unique only to Jesus because there is no one else in our world or in the universe or anywhere else that God has created. No one else can say that they are the ones who died for for someone else's sins in order to forgive them of their sins and rescue and save them from that loss, from that sin. Only Jesus can say that because that is what the gospel is. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's his story. His story is unique to him. It's only his story. That's what is his. And so once again, going back to our text here, it says he will bring glory to me. He stands in witness in me. Uh, He is going to take what is mine, my story, and he's going to make it known to you. He's going to make it known to you and to me. That's one of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit. It's not just to give witness to the undying love of Jesus Christ, of God the Father. But he's going to take that gospel story and he's going to make it known to you and me through our heart and through our mind. And once again, that's a review from two weeks ago. We cannot, we could not Ignore our emotions because those emotions could potentially be the Holy Spirit trying to touch our hearts in a emotional way, in a spiritual way, not just a rational way. And then once we come to that realization that it's the Holy Spirit touching our hearts so so the story of Jesus can be known to us, then we fall in love with that story. We fall in love with the person that that story is about Jesus Christ. So that's what it means that he's going, that the Holy Spirit will take from what is Jesus's, what belongs to Jesus, and then he will make it known to you and me. Now let's pause in this phrase. This is the last point that I'm going to make. Uh, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is making it known to you and me? Of course, at this time when he's speaking to the, to the disciples, the Holy Spirit has not come yet, right? So that's why it's a future tense. He will make it known to you. But in our sense, it's already happened. So it's already been made known to us. What has been made known to us? It's it's the gospel, the story of Jesus making it known to you. Now, you might remember this phrase, making it known to you or make it known to you. It's something that Jesus says quite often. He says in John 15, verse 15, the chapter preceding the chapter that we're studying right now, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. So this illustration that Jesus is giving is that there is a hierarchy here, right? There is a master and there is a servant. The master knows the business, the servant doesn't. And there is no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There is no responsibility or if the master feels like he does not need to share or she does not need to share what is happening, uh, they don't need to share it with the servant. They don't have that responsibility. They don't have that 
what, what's the word I'm looking for? I just can't find it. Uh, they, they just don't need to share it. It's not their business, right? But Jesus continues on. He says in, in verse 15, part B, he says, instead, I have called you friends. Let me highlight that. I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have what? He has done what? I have made known to you. So that's why I want to emphasize this phrase, make known to you, that we just read in John chapter 16, verse 14 and 15. We also see this in John 15, verse 15, where Jesus says, I make this known to you. Why? Let's do some math here. According to Jesus, things that are made known to another person, from one person to another person, it means that there is a bond there, a bond of friendship. So when when our key text, going back to our key text, it says in John 16 verse 14 through 15 that the Holy Spirit will take the gospel and make it known to you and me, it means that the Holy Spirit sees you and I as friends. That there is this connection, that there is this loving connection, this loving fellowship between you and me and the, and the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit sees us not as servants, but as friends. The Holy Spirit sees us as friends because he has made known to us the gospel. Wow. I think this is a fantastic verse. A wonderful verse that reminds us of the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. I want to review this once again. For the last three weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit in regard to Walking with Jesus so that way we can be transformed into his likeness. The Holy Spirit plays a major role in that transformation for us. The power of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy, how does the Holy Spirit give us power so that way we can be effective witnesses for Jesus? So that way we can grow into his likeness? Well, number one, what we learned two weeks ago is that he convicts the world of a loving God. We see that in John 16, verse 8 through 11. Number two, from last week, we learned that the Holy Spirit will guide you and me in all truth about God's love and God's salvation plan for you and me. And then number three, he glorifies Jesus. Glorifies Jesus meaning that he stands in witness and in gratitude of the saving grace of Jesus Christ and of the wonderful work that Jesus did in offering his life for you and for me and for people in the past and the people that will come in the future. That's what it means to glorify Jesus. So brothers and sisters, what's the last thought that I leave with you? The last thing I will leave with you is this thought. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is our direct connection to God and Jesus. And we need that direct connection because, because as you know well and good, life, life can cause us to drift away. You know, when I'm thinking of drifting away, I recall this story. And here's a picture of of myself and my brother-in-law. Uh, we're not pictured here, but we are snorkeling with my niece Addison 
and my other niece, Camille. Camille is in the blue, who is in the background behind Addison. We went snorkeling in Hawaii a few years ago. And the one thing that uh, I learned about snorkeling in the deep blue ocean is that the ocean can, the waves can easily push you back to shore, but can easily take you away from, from the shore. And that's what happened. Uh, here I am with Addison, and Camille, and Matt, and we're appreciating, we're just looking in awesome wonder of God's creation underneath the ocean floor. We're looking at the coral, we're looking at the sea life, we saw turtles, we saw eels, we saw fish of many different colors. And then, uh, as I then realized it, I popped my head up at one moment while we're snorkeling, and I realized, I didn't realize that we had drifted away far from the shore. And isn't that life? Isn't that just like what life is? That life, if we don't pay attention, we can find ourselves drifting further and further from God, further and further from what really matters in our life. That's what can happen if we don't pay attention. But thank goodness that we have the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is our direct connection to Jesus and to God, that through the Holy Spirit, he convicts our hearts. He reminds us he may set something inside our heart, some type of love or sadness or grief, something to remind us that, hey, you haven't come to God. You haven't had a God moment for some time now. If you ever feel those tugs in your heart, just remember, it might just be the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Blessed Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for being with us on this journey, for letting us know the wonderful, important, loving work of the Holy Spirit, that it is the Holy Spirit who connects us to you and to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. May we not take him for granted. If anything, may we appreciate you even more for being present in our lives through the Holy Spirit. We ask for the Holy Spirit, now that we are about to leave this sanctuary in a few minutes, to bless us this upcoming week, to be with us this upcoming week, to love us during this upcoming week. I pray, O oh Lord, that your presence may always be with us. Never leave us, for we are your children. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for worshiping with us. Thank you again for worshiping with me, even through video. And I'd like to hear your feedback on this. Until next week. May you have a happy Sabbath. God bless and have a wonderful week.